0: Welcome to Livelihood, providing tactical and practical tips for women who work. I'm Britt Larson, your host. I'm thrilled to have Caitlin Maggotson here, who is a counselor and career coach. And I just cannot wait to talk about this topic. It's not a really fun topic on its face, but it's something that is so important and something women are opening up more and more about, and that's mental health in the workplace. So Caitlin, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Rid. I really appreciate it. And I actually think that this is a really fun and important topic. So I'm really glad that um, you're open
0: to having the conversation. Well, I'm glad you think it's fun because I think sometimes people hear mental health and they think, oh, what a bummer or how depressing. But this is why you're a counselor. <laughs> you, right. you are able to spin that and make it a, an educational and, and an interesting thing. And that's why I'm excited to have you here. So I thought we could just start by having you uh, tell the Livelihood audience about your background.
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I'm actually based in Maryland. I'm right outside of Washington, D.C. So I am a licensed clinical uh, professional counselor in the state of Maryland, So I do psychotherapy with clients in person. Um, Clients might be experiencing anxiety or depression, um, navigating life transitions or maybe healing from past trauma. Um, And I also provide career coaching. I do that in person. I also do that remotely with clients around the world. And uh, certainly, you know, anxiety, depression, mental health is a part of, um, your life. And certainly as you're looking for a career that feels like a right fit, um, some of that comes into the conversation, but when I'm working with career coaching clients, they might be feeling stuck or overwhelmed trying to figure out what job feels like the right fit. How does that align with their interests or their skills or their values? And then work with them through job search strategy, kind of coaching them and processing along the way. Um, so they don't have
0: to do it alone. Wow. That's incredible. And I love the connection between, The career and that being such a huge part of a lot of women's lives and their mental health, what made you um, start going that direction? Were you always career coaching and then the therapy was supporting that or vice versa? I'm just curious about how that came about.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe a little bit of both. I've been doing career coaching longer. I, I work as a career coach at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. So I've been there and I also got my master's in mental health counseling at Johns Hopkins University. Wow. So, um, I guess, yeah, I've always had an interest in career. And because it's such a big part, I think, of our identity when we work, we feel a sense of purpose or meaning in life. And I love the idea of helping people align their strengths and their interests and really just find that fulfillment in work. And and then just the mental health piece, I think I've always been curious about how to help people feel more I guess healthy and find greater well being in general and how to process emotions when they come up at home, at work, um, just to find greater satisfaction, I guess, as as a whole person. I look at it from a holistic perspective. That's so
0: smart. And sadly it was something that <laughs> I was gonna say, it took me a while to learn, but I think I'm still learning it, that my career is just part of who I am. My overall health is so much bigger than that small part of my identity. And I can't let one kind of trump the other. You know, I can't let my mental health impact my performance at work. And I have to be careful that my job doesn't kill me. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> That's important.
0: Yeah. I'm a bit of a workaholic. And I think that early on in my career, I I didn't understand how interconnected all of these things were. And with that in mind, you you mentioned you wanted to kind of define mental health versus mental illness and diagnosis. And I wanted to understand why you feel it's so important to educate about the difference between those three things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it into the conversation because I, I think there's definitely a, a stigma when we talk about mental health and uh, you know, when we talk about mental health, we're really talking about brain health and what's happening for us psychologically and our emotional well-being. So it's really referring to the cognitive piece, the behavioral piece, the emotional well-being, um, how we think, we feel, we behave. So that's what we're talking about when we hear about mental health, just like we would talk about our heart health or you know our eye health. We're talking about our brain health. Um, so I just kind of wanted to like bring that real definition to the reality that we all have a brain and we all need to take care of it and it's functioning.
0: Right.
1: So mental illness, um, is a little bit different. Certainly all of us at different points in time feel anxious or we might feel sad or down. Maybe some of that situational events, right? If somebody in your family dies, of course, you're going to feel grief. You're going to feel sadness. That's a normal reaction to that Mm -hmm. experience. What happens is when it becomes an illness or it's something that could be diagnosed we're really looking at symptoms that together are associated with maybe a reduction in functioning. So for something to be actually diagnosed, which means that you get like an official title in the in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, what we call the DSM, it identifies different symptoms, and if you have like a, a grouping of symptoms, then you might get a diagnosis which just gives you more information. And, and people feel differently about labels or diagnoses, but it can just sometimes n- validate someone's experience. Sometimes people experience a mental illness for a period of time. They might experience depression for a period of time. And some, it might be more a chemical, biological um, piece that they might experience their whole whole life. So um, hopefully that provides a little bit of information on the differences between some of those those words.
0: I think that's so important. And I'm curious if you think that the transparency or maybe the openness or vulnerability of more and more people sharing about these things, do you think that's been a positive thing? And, and connected to that, do you get frustrated when people say, you know, I'm OCD, but they may not be diagnosed. That's something I've always thought is interesting and can be frustrating.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess people also can casually toss around these terms. I think sometimes, you know, people maybe use it in a laughing way to maybe try to find some comfort or maybe normalize what they're going through. But... Yeah. I mean, you need, for like something to be actually clinically diagnosed, you need to go to a provider, you know, a therapist or a psychiatrist who, a psychiatrist prescribes medication, you know, to get a professional diagnosis. You can't really, I mean, you could try to diagnose yourself, but I wouldn't recommend that. Um, So, but, you know, I think it's important to have these conversations and hopefully it normalizes things for people that they're not alone. They're not the only person experiencing, you know, you know, anxiety or, or things like that. So I think it's, it's important to raise and that. I,
0: I have just loved that it's become more normalized. I think social media has helped that. I think the media in general is covering these kinds of things. It's not just psychology today where you read about this right. and, and even in the more traditional, you know, workplace publications are starting to talk about the connection between you know, our holistic self and work. And it's, I just love being a part of that, that I live in this time and not 40 years ago when we couldn't figure out what was wrong with people or what to call it or, you know,
1: right. right, right. Yeah. No, I think we've got a lot of information and gives us permission to be curious about, you know, how, what, how we're going through, through life and if there's another way or other resources to help people find more well-being.
0: Absolutely. So you talk about self-awareness and emotional intelligence, and I think these are kind of buzzwords that we hear. And I would love to hear you talk about that, especially with being a woman in the workplace, like what that means and how that's connected to mental health overall. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think It's important
1: to be self-aware and self-awareness is all about the degree to which you're in touch with your own feelings and your emotions and being able to uh, distinguish one emotion from another and understand where that's coming from can really be, uh, I think, a game changer in the way that we show up and in the way that we respond to others. Um, You know, for example, if you're sitting here right now, you might just kind of take a, uh, do a little inventory to assess like, what am I feeling in my body? Or what am I thinking? And, Mm. and, you know, can you name the emotion? Like, oh, I'm feeling tired. And why am I feeling tired? Well, I'm feeling tired because, you know, I had to run up the stairs to get to my apartment or, right. To be able to like, say in this very moment, to be very mindful and present Um, so, you know, if you're in a meeting and you find yourself yelling, well, if we had, you know, dialed back a couple seconds, if you were able to assess that, you know, you felt your hands getting clammy and you felt your heart racing and you realized that you were feeling angry, maybe if you could be aware of your emotional experience and you had some impulse control, maybe you could learn some strategies to maybe slow down and take some breaths or just. Just be aware of what's happening before maybe, you know, you act or you say something just so that you can use those emotions to help you understand what you're experiencing.
0: I have never thought about paying attention to my body in a meeting because I am definitely passionate. I get heated. I get intense. And usually it's positive. You know, I have an idea and I want to share it but that can even be too much. You know, I don't want to steamroll other ideas and I've never thought about paying attention to the signs ahead of that. I've definitely thought of, okay, Brett, you need to stay quiet, let other people talk. But I love that thought of being so self-aware that I'm paying attention to how my body is reacting. That That's a really interesting idea. And I think with emotional intelligence, um, I may be putting you on the spot here, but I think there's a lot of stereotypes about women at work, right? That we, that we may yell, that we, excuse my French, get bitchy. And we have this stereotype of just being more emotional. And sadly I've seen it, you know, I've seen it frankly with myself. I've seen it with women that managed me and, Uh, often it's in higher numbers or just more frequent outbursts, if you will. So I wonder if you have specific feedback that you give to your female clients that, that may struggle with this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, emotional intelligence, having emotions is a human experience. You know, we feel happy, we feel sad, we feel excited, angry. Emotional intelligence is really about, um, I mean, there's so many different areas that make up our emotional intelligence, whether it's like our perception of ourself and our emotional awareness, or, you know, our ability to be assertive or express ourselves emotionally, um, you know, to have independent thought or to be empathetic or, you know, solve problems or control our impulses. This all has to do with how do we use our emotions and how do we show up? So I think that, you know, every person is different and and we all have different ways of, you know, everyone's, ha- everyone's having an emotional experience and the way we manifest it might be different. Um, so I think for women, just being aware of your emotional experience and then how are you expressing it? Um, so it's, you know, if you find yourself crying, it's not that that necessarily is a bad thing because you have those emotions. But if that's not how you want to show up in that moment, you might kind of, you know, get curious about what's happening inside and maybe how you want to, you know, express your thoughts. And and maybe you need some time to kind of slow things down. And, you know, if you want to come across in a different way. So I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's not that there are like good or bad emotions per se. They just are. And then it's up to you how you want to show up at work.
0: I love this answer. A, because you just acknowledge that emotions are a human thing. And I Mm -hmm. think too often we expect people and you talk about this and we can move into this next topic of bringing your whole self to work. If you're bringing your whole self to work and being authentic, then you're going to have emotions. You're going to get excited about stuff. You're going to get frustrated. What's not okay is Mm -hmm. cursing or taking it out on people or getting so intense that it distracts from your results. And that's where you can kind of do what you talked about. Check in with yourself. Um, One thing I've done before is just asked for feedback from my peers or supervisor. Hey, I feel like I kind of overreacted there can you let me know how I came across? And, and sometimes I've been told, well, yeah, you got a little intense, but it was, it totally matched the situation or yeah, that was a little, a little much being ringing it up. So I think, I think it's ridiculous to expect people not to be human.
1: Sure. Sure. And, and I think you mentioned a great point. I think getting feedback, you know, if you're, if you can do have someone do a 360 for you where you get feedback in a report format, um, I use some assessments. I use a 360 tool, and I also use an assessment called the EQI, which assesses you get to rate yourself where you kind of feel you fall in some of these kind of elements that I've listed that kind of make up in emotional intelligence. And then, you know, you can go over it with a coach to get more insight. That's a little bit more tangible, but I think, yeah, getting feedback from others. Sometimes we have blind spots and we don't know how we're showing up. So I think that's, that can be really helpful.
0: I just want to put in a plug that I did this with a counselor and career coach, someone with a similar background to you, Caitlin. I wish I had known about you when I lived in DC. (laughs) Um, and we did all the EQ testing and it has guided me so much in my career. And I did that probably about 18 months after graduating from college. And I wish Uh it was something that everyone just did in college mandated Uh because it was so helpful to just help me understand myself and how I figure out the world and how I relate to the world and how to make sure that I was, like you said, showing up how I wanted to at work.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you got to do that. I think it's great to have kind of a toolbox of self-knowledge, if you will. I, you know, it can be a mix of assessments or working with a counselor or a coach. Um, cause again, sometimes we just don't see those blind spots. So having a sense of ourself and how we show up in the world and where that maybe comes from, where we learn some of those things can really help us then make changes. Um, you know, that, Absolutely. that help us.
0: Well, that's why it's so better. good to work with someone like you who has, Kind of both spheres. I just feel like I'm seeing career coaches pop up all over the place, and I offer it in the sense of helping women get a raise. Like that's my huge focus is helping women make more money. But I don't work on any of the stuff that you just talked about because that's not my expertise, and that's why it's so good. If you want this kind of help, that you need to go to Caitlin. So that's my my mid episode pitch for you. <laughs> oh, I'll um, take it. No, you. you talk about. Bring your whole self to work, figuring out, you know, how to be emotionally aware of what's going on. What do you watch for when it all just becomes too much? The signs of burnout. And we're hearing a lot about self-care. You know, that was a term I don't feel like we talked about three years ago and it's everywhere now.
1: Cool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm right outside of Washington, DC. So I think it depends where you live and, you know, usually say, what's your name and what do you do for work? You know, there's this idea that if we work a lot that, you know, we must be, um, doing really well, or it's, it's tied to a sense of, um, I don't know, you know, accomplishment and if, if we're successful or doing enough. And I think it's really important to pay attention to burnout and, you know, too, too much of anything I think leads us to a place of of exhaustion. So I, you know, I think about burnout, I think about the physical and emotional exhaustion that someone might feel. So if you're feeling that it's like hard to get out of bed in the morning, or you're just feeling tired all the time, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not, you know, getting kind of fueling your, your body, you'll, you'll, you know, we need good food. We need rest. That's you know, that's um, productive to to rest. And then mentally, like if if someone's feeling detached or feeling really maybe hypersensitive or critical, um, maybe if they're starting to doubt themselves, you can kind of get into this place of exhaustion. So I guess I would pay attention to signs like if you're having trouble falling asleep or if you're experiencing like chronic fatigue or it's feeling hard to concentrate at work or you're not feeling very focused or you're forgetting a lot of things. If you notice any changes in your appetite or, you know, increased feelings of of tension or anxiety or, um, yeah, just kind of watching your moods and seeing if you feel like more irritable. Um, just, you know, also paying attention to the self-talk that's happening in your head. You know, if you're feeling like the glass is empty. Like if that attitude is prevailing, that kind of pessimistic viewpoint, you might start feeling detached. Um, so those are just a couple of things to pay attention to. I mean, if your performance is changing and you're not as productive, even if you're putting in tons of hours, you know, that stress might prevent you from, you know, being as effective as you were before. Um, so, you know, just, these are, can be little flags to, to watch for and, you know, all together can lead to burnout.
0: Absolutely, I I love your exact kind of checklist. And uh-huh. going through, I'm going yes, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I I constantly have to check in with myself. I had a big um, health issue in D.C. that kind of triggered getting a new job, not working eighty hour weeks on the hill anymore, and. Mm-hmm it took that happening and it was pretty extreme. And I've actually talked about it on an episode before because mm-hmm. that set me up for, okay, this is what my default mode is that I will put myself last. And so I really have to be careful and I constantly have to check in with myself. So yeah. I wish again, yeah. I had known about that, but it took me kind of hitting rock bottom to realize it. So You mentioned that this is expensive to companies and that it can, it can cost companies a lot of money. And I'm so curious about your thoughts on this.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think we're seeing companies recognize the importance of providing resources and education on mental health because there is a dollar sign that's attached to it. You know, if if employees are like mentally, emotionally not present, um, because they're you know, experiencing some mental health issue, then that's going to hurt, you know, productivity and professional relationships and ultimately the bottom line. So I think it's somewhere between like, I've read different articles, but it's in the billions, um, billions of dollars are lost to like depression each year. And, um, there, there's just, you know, there's a dollar sign when people don't show up to work because, they're not. They're not doing well. So we're seeing a lot of companies that are, you know, sharing resources and also providing more flexibility and sensitivity and open-mindedness, if you will, to, you know, talking about mental health and providing, um, you know, resources and programs so that their employees stay mentally well.
0: I love that. I remember a few months ago, there was a, I think it was a LinkedIn post that went viral of a CEO had screenshot a text that he got from one of his employees about how she basically said, I need to take a mental health day. Mm-hmm. And she just said something to the effect of, I'm burnt out. I just need a day. I'm completely checking out. You know, she had made sure everything was kind of taken care of, but I just need a day to, to regroup and I'll be back in tomorrow at a hundred percent. And he, he shared it and just said that he was going to start implementing a mental health day every quarter. Right. And I just thought that was so cool. I mean, that feels so progressive, but at the same time, why don't we have that already?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. When we talk about like sick days, like what qualifies you as being sick? If you are mentally, if your brain, if you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling focused, then, yeah, it's important to, to rest and recoup and maybe get some counseling. I know that a lot of companies provide on-site counseling sessions to you know their employees or their families, kind of teach mental health first aid so that employees are able to recognize those signs of mental illness or, or burnout and really to like empower people to find well-being so that they can perform their best at work.
0: That's a great point. And I think, sadly, some of that stuff doesn't get used until, not that it's too late, but until you really need it. I mean, my story is a great example. If I had started paying attention to the weight I was gaining and how I was isolating myself and had no social life because I was working too much, then I probably could have prevented some major health issues. And I just, I don't want to let that happen again. So hopefully someone out there listening to this who's in the middle of this can identify it and then the most important thing after that is how do you advocate for yourself and you you mentioned there are things that you can do to advocate for your needs for your well-being and i think this can be really scary and people don't know how to do it
1: right yeah Well, I mean, I think it might be, I mean, gosh, even taking that screenshot and asking for a mental health day, you know, asking for what you need, it might be something even small, like, you know, maybe you're in a work culture that doesn't take lunch, like, or doesn't, you know, get off site for lunch. And maybe just doing that is kind of asserting or advocating for your needs. Sometimes it's just by actions and it's not by words, but, you know, sometimes it's you know, asking for to take a lunch or, Hey, can we do a walking meeting? Or, you know, I've got to go pick up my kids at four, you know, 4 PM. I'm going to need to leave a little bit early. So I think just asking for what would make your work experience more optimal. You know, if, if you, if tomorrow you woke up and a miracle had taken place and your, you know, your work life felt more balanced, what would,
0: what would have oh, changed? I love that.
1: Yeah. And I would just really encourage whoever's listening to either just kind of close your eyes and kind of meditate on that for a few minutes and really let yourself go there. Give yourself permission to fantasize what that could be like. Maybe journal it out and see what maybe small things you can ask for. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there are bigger things, but starting small with like kind of lower risk will then probably help you build some muscle to ask for bigger things. I think that's a great point.
0: And I think, again, we often wait until it's too late as a manager. I see this all the time and it's very frustrating that something is going on with one of my employees and they wait until they've missed several days to tell me, Hey, I've got this health issue. I just need to work from home a little bit more this week than normal that would have been a totally fair conversation, but then they let things slip Mm -hmm. first and things start to fall apart. And then I have to bring it up to them instead of them coming to me. And, Mm -hmm. and as a manager, I try and be really sensitive to that at the end of the day, the work still has to get done, but waiting until things fall through the cracks because you're falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. That just, it happens too often. And I sadly see that a lot more with women. And this is a little bit of a stereotype, but we often take on a lot and we think that we can just kind of keep, keep all the plates spinning. And when things start dropping, we don't like to ask for help. And I've realized so many times in my life that if I had just gone to my boss a little sooner, he he or she would have totally understood. But I wait until I'm, I've got one foot out the door because I'm so frustrated because I'm overworked.
1: Right. And a lot of times I think as women or in general, you know, we p- replay these, these thoughts or these conversations in our mind without actually having them, right. Instead of saying, Hey, can, you know, your boss, can we set up, you know, a 30 minute or 15 minute check-in just want to run a couple of ideas by you, you know, maybe it's, Hey, can I take a yoga class on my lunch break and, you know, extend my work day or whatever it is. Um, but you know, feeling like, a, like you can't ask or, or you can't set boundaries. I think setting boundaries of things that you aren't willing to do, um, is really important too, in advocating
0: for, for your needs. For sure. And I think making sure that those conversations are truly that, that they're conversations as a manager, I have a hard time when people come in and just say, this is how it's going to be. And I start to panic about what mm-hmm. that actually means and the implications of a drastic change. Like I need to work from home a lot more, or I need to leave every day, two hours earlier, whatever that accommodation may be. But if it feels like a conversation, I'm always up for it. And so I should, sure, you sure. know, approach the same thing when I manage up like, Hey, I have a lot of doctor's appointments I'm going to have to have in the next few weeks. Would you rather me be gone in the morning or the afternoon? And then it feels like it's truly a conversation and we're working together.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you're all on the same team. So I think presenting your needs and, you know, negotiating or compromising or, you know, serving someone else in some capacity, ultimately, if you can use language around, we like, you know, what can we do to make this work? Ultimately, it's not you against your employer that ultimately have the same goals, and hopefully they want to support you just as much as you want to support them and the team.
0: For sure. And I will add, if they don't, then you don't want to work there. Right, right. right. I mean,
1: uh, ultimately assessing what, what the values are and what the work culture looks like, it might not be in alignment with what you need for, you know, well-being in life. And if that doesn't fit, it, yeah, it might be time to look for something else that is.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a scary thought. And I have been in that position, but every time I've made the change because I feel like, yeah, you know, this isn't matching my current goals or my health is more important to me right now than getting a raise or whatever it may be, I never regret it. Right. Um, I've often regretted the opposite. Like I'm gonna convince them that this is the culture.
1: <laughs> right. right. And ultimately you're just responsible for you. So I kind of, you know, I think of it as like a tennis court, like you can serve the ball, but ultimately you're only responsible for how you serve it and they're going to serve it back however they're going to serve it. And so I think not taking on too much responsibility to change an entire work culture or change another person, you can only change yourself and and sometimes that is finding other, other places that you might fit. So if you have a job and you're thinking, I don't know if this is where I want to be, stay in that job and maybe start doing, you know, some informational interviews and networking and seeing if there are other cultures that
0: might be better. Absolutely. You mentioned that there are some companies that are really being forward thinking about this. We you kind of talk about that? Or yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing some research in preparation for our conversation. And I came across EY, formerly Ernst & Young. They have a program called We Care Program. And they educate employees on mental health issues and, you know, encourage them to seek help if they need it. And also how to support colleagues that might be struggling with mental illness or addiction. Yes. So, yeah, I think that education really is so powerful and and then um offering, you know, counseling sessions. I think there's I read like this Michigan-based furniture store called Herman Miller. They offer free on-site counseling sessions to employees and their families and they provide courses on mental health first aid and, you know, teach them how to recognize signs of mental illness. Um and then there was another company called DuPont and they also have an educational program to encourage employees to reach out to coworkers who appear to be in emotional distress. And they have like a campaign, I think it was called I See You Campaign. And it's all about identifying, connecting, and understanding. Um, and they just have videos and just a lot of tools for people to know more about mental health. So I think that's there's some great models out there. Um, if companies are thinking, gosh, you know, we need to kind of implement something or maybe, you know, you're part of a smaller team. Maybe it's something you can bring up like, Hey, how do we incorporate some mental health education into our, into our
0: culture? That's so neat. I just keep thinking there's so many places I've worked for that would be so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, Caitlin, I have just loved hearing from you. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to end on? Gosh, yeah.
1: This has been such a great conversation. I, I just think it's so important for each of us to kind of do that daily check. As you were kind of saying, sometimes we just get to this place where we feel like we're like functioning and daily living become very difficult. And we use that word self-care and I know we kind of throw it around a lot, but it really is so important. So not only just watching for signs, but also thinking about what fills your tank. If it's spending time with friends or, you know, exercising, things that you find bring you happiness and joy. It's so important to also do those things so that you find that balance and you're, you know, taking care of yourself. Um, so you don't get to that point. So if you're not sure, like, well, what actually fills my bucket outside of work, you know, maybe just again, taking some time to reflect so that you've got more of a proactive plan about what you need and you know, what that well-being and success actually looks like for
0: you. That's so important. And one of the things I talk about a lot on livelihood is that your career should fit into your life, not the other way around. Yes. And if your job is number one and everything else happens, once everything's taken care of that work, you're not going to exercise. You're not going to take care of yourself. You won't have a social life. Yeah. All these things have to fit together and it takes time. It takes practice. I think it's a constant evolution and adaptation process that you have to go through. Yes. So.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, work can take up a big part of life, but there's things outside of work, relationships, family, Health, um, hobbies. So I, you know, I have a couple of articles on my website. If anyone um, wants to visit it, it's my first and last name, Caitlin Maggetson, Com. Just different articles on on well-being and kind of looking at career and life from a holistic perspective. Um uh, and I'm sure also if you Google some, you know, self-care articles or assessments, you know, you can take some time to reflect and figure out if there are any gaps and then set some goals to help you, you know, fill your tank in those different areas.
0: I love that. Will you, uh, drop your website one more time and tell people how they can reach out to you if they want to work with you?
1: Yeah, sure. So my website is my first and last name. So it's C A I T L I N and my last name, M A G I D S O N M-A-G-I-D-S-O-N.com. And, um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, so you can find me there, connect. And yeah, if anybody has any other questions, I'm happy to answer them or provide, you know, provide a, a referral or other resources. That and can I'll
0: be make helpful. sure that all of this is linked in the blog post as well. Caitlin, I am just so grateful that you took the time to have this conversation. And you're right. It was fun. You totally convinced me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we get to design our lives and it's kind of fun to think about how do we want to feel? How do we want to show up? And maybe we're in a place we're feeling stuck, but, you know, you can create something new and get the right supports and resources under you to make life feel happy and and feel energizing ultimately. So that's why I love the work that I get to do. Cause I really do see people transform themselves, you know, um, one step at a time. So you kind of have to envision it first and, and then move towards it, you know, with work and home life and yeah, it's one, one step at a time. It starts to come together.
0: That's gotta be so inspiring to watch your clients change over time. That's really I mean.
1: It is, it is. So it's, it's good work. So I'm. Thank you for letting me talk about it and share some insights. It's been well. It's thank been you great. for
0: joining me. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Livelihood. Please share this episode with your friends and be sure to follow Livelihood on Instagram and join the Livelihood community group on Facebook. You can always find more info and episodes on Livelihood with a Y dot com.